thank you for downloading the Friday Night Comedy Podcast from Radio 4. To find out more, visit bbc.co.uk slash radio4. But not until you've enjoyed this week's news quiz. We present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. We start with a classified ad from the Bath Chronicle, read by Peter Donaldson. Ladder for sale, brilliant condition, no rungs. (laughs) And our thanks to Anita Andrews for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Francis Ween and Jeremy Hardy. And opposite them on my left, Andy Hamilton and Fred McCauley. Francis. Why should Alaskan moose be nervous this weekend? (laughs) Well, this is very bad news indeed, isn't Mm. it? It's the Mm. American election. Um, The bad news being that never again on the news quiz will we be able to have a gratuitous question about Sarah Palin. Have you got her theme tune? (laughs) That's the bad news. Uh, The good news, the historic news, the exciting news, is that uh, Joe Biden is now the vice president-elect, I think, of the United <laughs> States, which is wonderful. I mean, it's the first time in American history, apparently, that a man has become vice president without ever saying a word in public during the campaign. <laughs> um, and it's giving inspiration. All over America, no hopers, um, are going to be inspired by this, uh, thinking we can be anything. You know, plodding dullards can become vice president of the United States, so can we. And then there's this chap Obama, who... Um, is allegedly inspirational as well, um, and is going to be the president. He's, um... If we could be allowed to drop our tone of cynicism. It's <laughs> <laughs> bloody marvellous that Obama has been elected. It's not as exciting as Joe Biden, is it? Come on, well, possibly not, but it is, Let alone it's, brought us, it's cheered up everybody I know, and even hard-bitten Republicans are saying... Well, yes, this is a great step for America. But there's always this subtext that they're saying, and this proves that racism as an issue is dead, the glass ceiling has been broken, and that's it, black people. Don't <laughs> ask for anything else. <laughs> so next time a hurricane is heading towards New Orleans and people are going, help, they'll say, oh, God, you've got a black president, what more do you want? <laughs> Enough about the hurricane. I think uh, we should warn people now, now that Jeremy's full of hope and is as buoyant as this, if you're planning on going to see him do his stand-up, I'd give it six months. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, it's not just me. A left-wing Labour MP, whom I shan't name, Bob Marshall Andrews, actually, um, <laughs> came, came up to me this week and said, I just want to tell you, I fancy Sarah Palin something rotten. <laughs> there is something erotic about crazy women with guns. It was guns. It used to be... <laughs> in fact, if Virginia, if Virginia Bottomley had, had an AK-47, I'd have gone <laughs> And you know, the... when, when Obama said that John McCain had endured things that most of us cannot begin to imagine, <laughs> I, I immediately thought of brunch with the Palin. There, there is a, a worrying moment in history now, because unlike the British system, the president doesn't actually take over till January. There's, there's 77 days uh, remaining in which President Bush is still president, and those will be the 77 most dangerous days <laughs> in human history. Because what's to stop him? You know, particularly if he starts hitting the whiskey again. What is to stop him ringing up all the Chinese leadership and saying he shagged their granddaughters? I mean... Because <laughs> he, he is going to... 
It's the rehab society in America, isn't it? That's, why, that's like that thing where they're saying, this is how far we've come. We no longer stop black people from voting. It's that thing that Americans say, I've been sober for 12 years. And you think, yeah, but the subtext of that is that 12 years ago, you drove your Buick into a bus queue while freebasing. <laughs> but fighting racism is a daily battle. Obviously, every day they're tempted to send state troopers in to beat up black people on the way to the polling station, <laughs> but it's one day at a time. <laughs> The, uh, the enduring image uh, for me was of Jesse Jackson with the, the tears in his eyes. And I thought, you know, anybody else would have wiped them away, but he's thinking, I'm going to be in every television screen <laughs> all over the world. I'm not shifting these beauties. No, they're still using a bit of tear gas on them, that's what it is. <laughs> and every president has had an idiot brother, uh, apart from Bush, who turned out to have been the idiot brother. <laughs> Did anybody see, there was this fantastic moments in the coverage, but in the kind of analysis the following day, they had Jeremy Paxman doing a piece where he was interviewing um, Baroness Amos and Dizzy Rascal. Um, But he kept referring to Dizzy Rascal as, uh, Mr Rascal. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of curmudgeons keep saying, well, of course, he's he's not black. You see, His, his mother was white. And you think... Christopher Hitchens said this the other day. Well, of course, he's not black. And I thought, look, there are a lot of mixed-race people in South London, and I invite Christopher Hitchens to come down with a big <laughs> bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon and walk through the Mixton Market saying, you realise you're not black, don't you? <laughs> well, in case you've missed the news, Barack Obama has been overwhelmingly elected as the 44th President of the United States. His election marks a sea change in American politics. No one dared to believe that Americans would put aside their prejudices and elect a president with a brain. (laughs) Uh, Two points to Francis. He's sweet, though, isn't he, John McCain? Oh, you kind of feel... I think every house should have a little John McCain. He's available now, darling, if you want to ring him. Sweet, bless him. I thought he was very gracious. And I suppose the good news for Francis is that uh, Sarah Palin's got nothing doing for the next eight years. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy, what loss of memory has been blamed on human error? I don't care. Barack Obama has been elected president of the United States. <laughs> Two points. What was the question? The question is, uh, what loss of memory has been blamed on human error? Oh, it's about Gordon Brown. He said, look, come off it. We're going to keep losing all the data in the country because memory sticks are so small, which is a fair point. I mean, you can lose so much stuff now. When it used to be like a ring binder or something... That's a hard thing to lose, and if you lost it, someone would hand it in, because they're not going to think, oh, that's interesting, it's a ring binder. But these days, you can get so much information on... I mean, if you lose a memory stick, I mean, you're never going to... turn up at your autopsy, but... I I saw it on the news, and they said that the memory stick had been found in the car park of a Northampton pub. And I thought, what's the key word in that sentence? (laughs) The only time you leave stuff like that on the train is when you're totally rat <laughs> So clearly, that's the real problem in the civil service, is they're all off their heads all the time. Well, it's going to get worse. Did you see Gordon Brown this week talking about the crisis, saying what we need is to get some liquidity into the system? <laughs> what you can do is, uh, why don't you just email yourself, before you leave the office, email yourself, and, uh, you know, the paperclip thing, that's for attaching... And then you, do, you send yourself an attachment, so you, you'll always have it, and you don't need to take the memory stick with you. You'll get it at home. I, I did that. Unfortunately, I clicked on the, the E symbol with the planet, 
and I attached the whole internet. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes ages to download. <laughs> Gordon Brown has said that personal data will never be completely safe in the government's hands. Well. <laughs> Thank God we never had to choose whether we wanted him as Prime Minister or not. Um, Andy, nice to allow what to allow what nice? Um, I, I must admit I feel a bit bewildered by this story. I, I don't know what I think about it. I mean, the, the basic problem is it's to do with our sort of... Um, the habits of our age. In the old days, when people were thrifty, they didn't get illnesses they couldn't afford. <laughs> Basically, what's happening now in our spendthrift, carefree world, people are willfully going out and contracting luxury diseases, is what we're talking about. And um, so after a lot of controversy, I don't understand how it's going to work, but now you'll be being treated under the NHS and presumably you'll be quite ill at some point and then the doctor's going to come in and say, well, we can treat you with this drug or we can treat you with this other drug that works. (laughs) Uh, But you're going to have to chip in for that. In fact, and I just can't see how the two... Systems are going to work side by side. I think they should have the postcode lottery live on a Saturday night. <laughs> a minor celebrity and a pretend audience. And just go, SW16, Warfarin. <laughs> so are you saying that, Andy, that the consultant's going to come in like some kind of Jim Bowen character and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. now you've got the aspirin and the paracetamol, that's safe. <laughs> Two points there to Andy. Health Secretary Alan Johnson announced this week that patients will be allowed to pay for private top-up treatment. It's like a mobile phone. Um, without forfeiting their right to NHS care. The plans apparently come from the review by the cancer czar. What is that? What, what do you do before you're the cancer czar? You start out as emphysema sultan. <laughs> and then you've got, the, you got the pleurisy kaiser. You have to work your way up. Grand what? Duke of Psoriasis. <laughs> why, why do they insist on calling people czars? Look what happened to the czar. Fred, who's showing little interest in passing it on? It's the banks. It is. Yeah. Interest rates have plummeted. And just as hundreds of thousands of people turned out in America to welcome the new president, I could barely get to Broadcasting House for the squads of people in the streets celebrating the, the biggest cut in interest rates in, I don't know, 150 years or something like that. So it's currently 3%. And the banks, who have had a bit of a problem over the last wee while, and just in case you didn't know, have taken a leaf out of the oil company's books. And they're thinking, right, when it goes down, we'll take a wee while to think about it. <laughs> Best to be prudent. <laughs> but when it goes up, it goes up like that, and we all pay for it, don't we? You've got Robert Peston looking over his shoulder now. <laughs> Fred is now our officially our business correspondent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the reaction I got in this room is exactly 180% degrees things different. <laughs> From a, a chartered accountant's dinner I was at once, where the punchline was, and that was 2% over LIBOR. <laughs> Oh, there's, there's more of them in than I thought. I love the media reaction, though, because uh, 
All week, haven't they? All the printed press have been banging on saying, what is wrong with the Bank of England? When are they going to, when, when are they going to cut the interest rate? And as I was walking up Regent Street tonight, the placard for the Evening Standard reads, interest rate cut panic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's whatever they do, you know, it's... Panic. Well, it didn't have the desired effect on the stock markets. They, they plummeted again. Nothing calms the stock no. market. They're like toddlers, Although, aren't they? <laughs> You've just had too many E-numbers. The last five minutes have been like a question-time economic special, yeah. haven't they? <laughs> Money <Yeah>. box undead. <laughs> <laughs> I think the interest rate in the room has dropped somewhere. Right. <laughs> uh, two points to Fred. The Bank of England has made a shock... 1.5% cut in interest rates to 3%, but the banks say there's no guarantee they will pass the cut to borrowers. Let's want to get this straight, OK? The banks, which we now own, mm-hmm. have been given billions of our money so they can lend it back to us at an exorbitant rate. Do you not think we should have nationalised the mafia instead? <laughs> and at the end of round one, the scores are Francis and Jeremy have got four points, but so too have Andy and Fred. We start round two with a classified ad from a Californian newspaper. Wanted. Somebody to go back in time with me. You'll get paid after we get back. (laughs) Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I've only done this once before. (laughs) Our thanks to David Marks of County Down for sending that in. Francis, who thinks people should get out of the house more before they try and get into it? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I know. Um, this. It's not Hazel Blairs. It's yes. not Hazel Blairs, is it? Yes. Oh, she's the, but she's normally such a little ray of sunshine, Hazel Blairs. And uh, you she don't fancy her as well, do you? <laughs> but she, she's a, she's a bit miserable at the moment, and things are bad if Hazel Blairs is sad. I think we're all sad if she's sad. And she's uh, she made a speech, which was mainly actually complaining about cynicism, saying there was corrosive cynicism and nihilism and blogs and ghastly things like that, and that's why we have a low opinion of politicians. If it wasn't for blogs, mm. we would never um, have thought for ourselves that someone who says, no return to boom and bust, um, would then return us to bust. No, she said they need to get proper jobs, didn't she? That's the, the thing yeah. she's complaining about. Yeah. She said, this is going to really hurt now. But I agree with Hazel Blitz. <gasps> <gasps> what she said How you was... say that? She's like Ruth Kelly without the warmth. <laughs> oh, I know, but... <laughs> What she said was that there's a conveyor belt now whereby people enter politics as sort of 16-year-olds, become, you know, researchers, advisers, and the next thing you know, they're David Miliband. (laughs) And Ed Miliband. There's presumably a Miliband factory somewhere. (laughs) And, And that there's hardly anyone working in Parliament now who hasn't... whose only experience of work is working in Parliament. And she said that people should have had in the past, a proper job like her. She was a solicitor. She's had lots so she, of jobs. She, she, knows was a, about she was a child actor. She knows. Have you ever seen the film of A Taste of Honey? You know that Sheila Delaney play? In the opening scene, there is the, um, I think, six-year-old or five-year-old Hazel Blears in, in the first scene. What cabinet minister True. is she playing? <laughs> Can I say that Hazel Blears does have a point? Because one of the things that she says is that the House of Commons is absolutely dominated by middle-class white men, and I wondered if any of you had a view on that. No. (laughs) (laughs) Communities Minister Hazel Blairs this week gave a speech in which she criticised career politicians who lack any real-life experience. She blamed political bloggers for creating a culture of cynicism about politics. 
And there I was thinking cynicism about politics stemmed from the constant U-turns and broken manifesto pledges of the current Labour government. Silly me. Uh, Hazel Blears said political blogs are written by people who see their function as unearthing scandals, conspiracies, and perceived hypocrisy. Damn the electorate and their morbid fascination with the truth. <laughs> Two points to Francis. Fred, have a listen to this. That was Cold as Ice by Foreigner. I wonder if there are any jobs going on Radio 2. (laughs) (laughs) Fred, why are mice on ice big in Japan? I know this one. They thawed out a bit of frozen matter that had been frozen for a long time and made a mouse. Uh... (laughs) And they, I think it was, it was Walt Disney, wasn't it? <laughs> They've thought out Walt Disney and they made a mouse and it went, where's Pluto? <laughs> what, do you, what do you ask you to think it might be? A Findus crispy pancake? <laughs> they started with real mice, the frozen mice, didn't It was they? a frozen mouse, yeah. yeah. But, it was, but it was dead. That was the yeah, thing. yeah, been, well, obviously, yeah. It was dead before it, it died was frozen. Died of cold. Died. <laughs> but the order was dead first, then frozen, then thawed, and then yeah. cloned. It's okay. a recipe for food poisoning, isn't it? It is. Really? Does it work <laughs> with tinned mice? <laughs> the great theory, of course, is that they could start cloning... Mammoths. Woolly yeah. mammoths. It said that in the BBC News. And, uh, and, and Sarah Palin could shoot them. That would be nice. <laughs> but apparently, apparently, the DNA that they've got from the mammoth remains is highly degraded. So I thought, well, what's going to happen? They're going to clone a mammoth, but it's not going to work perfectly. Like, you get a mammoth that's only a couple of inches tall. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just or, be an oh. elephant. Or just be a mammoth in a cardigan. It won't be really woolly. <laughs> <laughs> How cute would that be? A two-inch <laughs> yeah. mammoth, right? But also, if they manage to to make a little a little fetal mammoth, they'll have to grow it inside an elephant. So the elephant, the mummy elephant, stop me. This is getting too technical. <laughs> the mummy elephant, where they'll implant the mammoth, and she'll have a little hairy mammoth. She's going to get a bit of a fright. <laughs> she's going to think so her baby's got hormone problems, isn't she? Are you she's going to you... go, I, I know, I was pissed, but she's... <laughs> <laughs> she's going to think she shagged Russell Brand. Are you saying they could resurrect Neanderthal man? If they could get yeah. enough DNA... <clears throat> You're looking at him, baby. Russell Brand end up on radio. What's happened to Radio 2? Radio 2 used to be the home of Sing Something Simple on a Sunday <laughs> evening. The Mike Sam Singers every Sunday evening just before we went back and to Jeff school. And Jeff Love and his orchestra. Sing something simple <laughs> as cares go. <laughs> that was the show. That show was responsible for more teenage suicides than, <laughs> than heroin. In the, in the early 60s. That's Radio 2. <laughs> Japanese scientists led by Dr. Torihiko Wakayama have created clones from the bodies of mice frozen for 16 years. The mice were created by implanting nuclei from the frozen mice into a living mouse egg. Actually, they're difficult to work with mouse eggs. You need about a 1,000 for an omelette. <laughs> At the end of round two, I can tell you that the scores are Andy and Fred have got six points, but in the lead are Francis and Jeremy with eight.
Before we start round three, here is a story from the BBC News website. A number of local councils in Britain have banned their staff from using Latin phrases like vice versa, pro rata and even via because they might confuse people. A spokesman for the Plain English campaign said the ban might stop people confusing the Latin abbreviation EG with the word egg. <laughs> and our thanks to Gareth Byrne of Manchester for sending us that. Jeremy, my word, you're smelly and annoying today. Where might I find someone who would agree with me? That's, um, British, there's a British Airways Facebook site for British Airways staff where they complained that all the passengers are smelly, but since they confiscate their deodorant, <laughs> it's hardly surprising that we're getting a bit niffy. But they were very hostile to passengers, and they also said that, um, that Terminal 5 was a disaster, which we all... There's been a report on that as well, hasn't there? There's mm. been a report on Terminal 5 saying that it, a national embarrassment, uh, whereas it should have been a moment of national pride. <laughs> when, can you imagine, with people in tears hugging each other, saying, I never thought I would live to see the day when we would have another terminal at Heathrow Airport. And instead, it was all just a fiasco. But, it, it but was... I liked BAA said that, they, that teething problems had been inevitable. Teething problems. My children had teething problems. We didn't send 23,000 teeth to a warehouse in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the story revealed a really high level of sort of revulsion, didn't it, among the BA staff mm. for the passengers. And you thought, yes, of course, of course. Because really, when you think about it, that's what's behind those smiles as you get on, isn't it? <laughs> Hello, welcome aboard. If you look in the eyes, you can see it. And at the end, you know, they're, thank you for flying with us, you bastard. You can see it. <laughs> you can see it behind the eyes. I came down from uh, Scotland on EasyJet once and was sitting right up at the back. And, uh, you know, they, they shut the curtains over the, the galley, but as it's called, where they, they heat things up. And the two of them are chatting to each other about what you're going to do when you get down. Oh, I'm going to go out, and that pilot's getting it. So he is. And. Um, <laughs> I heard one of them say to another, well, we do the teas and coffees. And uh, the, the curtains opened, and her head came out, and she looked, and she shut the curtains and went, and she went, nah. <laughs> I've never really had any trouble with airline staff, but then I travel as hand luggage, I'm usually stowed away. <laughs> A Facebook group created by British Airways ground staff at Gatwick describes passengers as smelly and annoying. Well, of course, they're smelly and annoying. They've probably been asleep in Terminal 5 for three days. <laughs> so two points there to Jeremy. Andy, who's been labouring on behalf of man's best friend? Ooh. Frankie it's, knows. It's Hilary Frank. Benn, isn't it? Uh, it is Hilary Benn, yes. Now, Hilary Benn has issued guidelines to protect our dumb chums. Yep. And quite extreme guidelines. You can be sent to prison now if you give your dog grapes or chocolate, if you give your cat milk, if you disturb your dog while it's eating its dinner, because this <laughs> might provoke food-related aggression, um, and if you wake up a sleeping puppy, you can be charged as well. And it's only about dogs and cats. I didn't see anything about hamsters, so you can do what you like with them. Are you allowed to put, are you allowed to put a hat on a kitten? Because that's such fun. <laughs> <laughs> not mean. It's not mean. They don't hurt themselves. We're just watching them. It's a laugh. But the, the recommendations were so... They were sim simple things, weren't they? Like, like oh, well, you can't let a cat go into a room where there's a tumble dryer in case it accidentally wanders into it. <laughs> or go they... near any windows or play with sharp objects. You mustn't give your sheep chlamydia. <laughs> 
is a definite important. No, but I think it's a good idea to protect. Health and safety issues with pets are important. There was a cat at Granada Studios in the days when they used to do live dramas on ITV. And they were putting out live a drama about, a kitchen sink drama about life on an estate. <coughs> and it was the climax of the drama, about 28 minutes in. And the, the, the lead character, she's doing this very moving speech. She said, it's, it's not natural to live in these tower blocks with 28 floors up. I never see anybody. I'm, I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner, do you hear? And she was in the middle of this. And as she spoke, the studio cat wandered onto the set... <laughs> went up onto the windowsill and jumped out the window. <laughs> and, and the actress, with enormous presence of mind, said, it's, it's inhuman, and now the cat's jumped out of the window. <laughs> it would have been great if it jumped back in, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, two points to Francis on that one. The government has released a new code of practice for owners of dogs, cats and horses. Defra said it printed the guidelines to remind owners of their responsibilities. The government has also given advice on how to serve up a dog's dinner. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Write about what you know. (laughs) Uh, Before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Mr Ween. This was sent to iSave customers this week about the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. We're aware that some customers will not be able to take part in the electronic payment process for a variety of reasons, such as where notification has already been given to ISAVE that the account holder is deceased. If you fall into this category, (laughs) you do do not need to take any further action. Jeremy. This was sent in by Marlene McAndrew of London N21. It says, residents are angry after a post box was removed because a neighbour was having work done to his driveway. Julie Dewson, 61, said, they were hoisting the post box out of the ground onto a lorry. I couldn't go near them because the dog was having kittens. (laughs) Andy. Well, this is from Rob Wallace, and it's a a marvellous extract from the minutes of Ekring Parish Council in Nottingham. Any other business? One... Another parishioner wished to know if the problems with the telephone directories had been solved yet. Two, Mr Neal said a parishioner had drawn his attention to overhanging foliage on the pavement on Main Street between Wellow Road Junction and the old school. Clark to contact Highways Department. Three, the missile launcher parked on Kirklingham Road. has caused comments from a number of parishioners. (laughs) Clark to contact highways. Fred. Uh, This is a a punctuation uh, error in the Isle of Man Courier, and uh, they, they set the record straight. A court report in last week's Isle of Man Courier about a case involving a Douglas man, Gareth Stephen Boyk, who was represented by advocate Sue Griffin, contained an error. It stated, Boyk said Mrs Griffin had used cannabis for 18 months to help with stress. The sentence should have read, Boyk, said Mrs Griffin, had used (laughs) cannabis for 18 months to help with stress. (laughs) Let's take a look at the final score. Andy and Fred have got eight points, but this week's runaway winners are Francis and Jeremy with 14. Before we leave you, here's a cutting from The Guardian sent in by Robert Cass. 
When Felipe Massa rolls out of bed on Sunday morning and starts preparing for the biggest race of his life, he will slip into the lucky white underpants, which have been his constant travel companion since his first Grand Prix victory in 2006. <laughs> Massa said, These pants have ten victories and 14 pole positions. <laughs> and with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Francis Ween, Jeremy Hardy, Andy Hamilton and Fred McCauley. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Peter Donaldson. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, Roderick Crooks and Danielle Ward with additional material by Stephen Carlin and James Sherwood. The producer was Ed Morrish. Again, to any of our comedies on Radio 4, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio4 slash comedy.